Hi, it's Diana Dini. Today I interview Saul Rosenbaum about engineering with receptivity, how an openness toward others for new impressions and different ideas can lead to a successful engineering career. Saul Rosenbaum graduated with a bachelor's and master's of science in mechanical engineering and is currently the owner and managing engineer of a small firm that provides engineering support and energy analysis to commercial properties as part of the mortgage financing process. He also has a passion for mentoring younger engineers and founded The Engineering Mentor, where he provides material geared toward younger engineers and helping them along in their engineering journey. In this episode, Saul and I talk about the types of things that experienced engineers can do to help less experienced engineers and how less experienced engineers can approach teamwork and their important contributions. This interview is part of our series, A Chat with Cross-Functional Experts. Our focus is speaking with people that are typically part of a cross-functional team for new product development and engineering projects. I hope you enjoy this special episode of the Quality During Design podcast. Hello and welcome to Quality During Design, the place to use quality thinking to create products others love for less. Each week we talk about ways to use quality during design engineering and product development. I'm Diana Dini. I'm a senior level quality professional and engineer with over 20 years of experience in manufacturing and design. Listen in and then join us. Visit qualityduringdesign.com. Saul, thanks for joining us today in the Quality During Design podcast. My pleasure. Happy to talk to you and your audience. So I invited you here today to talk about your experience and advice about engineering with others. Now, you have been an engineer for a long time. What kind of work do you do and what kind of circles do you work in? Right. So I started out in um, energy efficiency projects where we would come in generally government facilities. And it was a lot of MEP design based around the energy savings. I've stayed within the broader energy efficiency world since then, although I've sort of morphed into the mortgage finance industry where my firm provides an energy analysis for various green loan programs. And we also do a lot of engineering review for various property condition assessments and those types of inspections for commercial properties. So you work a lot with the business folk and insurance companies and all within the realm of engineering, providing engineering analyses. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we, we work a lot with you know, various financial institutions. So there are times where I will work directly with a building owner or a property management company, but very often our reports and analysis are being done within you know, their sale process. It's very similar to a home inspection for a residential property. You have these various inspections for the commercial property that the lender wants to have done just to make sure that everybody is, you know, kind of keeping the property in shape. And then the green side of it is really, there's various green loan programs where if they save energy or they save water, they all have different rules, but this way they'll, they'll get a better loan rate based on that. So you not only need to be 
up on all the latest technologies with energy production, but then you're probably also getting into some standards and regulations too. You'd have to stay abreast of those. Yeah. So we have, we do have to stay on top of those. Um, And I think one of the top, when you had mentioned talking about working in different teams, one of the things we have to do is work with the engineering side to make sure on that level, it's everything is all okay. And then you're also working with a building management or a property management company or an owner that is not necessarily going to understand the technology. And so while there are obviously there are projects where we're working with a multidisciplinary team of engineers, you also are working with a multidisciplinary team that consists of people that are not outside of the engineering realm as well. Yes. Now you say you're working with a team of engineers. You you manage some engineers for your business, is that right? Yes, that's correct. It's a it's a small small firm, just uh, just a handful of us. Um, one of the things I do like to still do is be involved at least in the oversight of the engineering work. We're still at that level where I may not perform all of the engineering work, but all of the engineering work is still coming through me to some degree, and all of the oversight and direction is still there. And I think some of that comes from the size of the firm, but also the fact that I just enjoy the engineering. I also like the business development and the marketing and the business side of things. So I don't want to strictly do the engineering stuff, but I also don't want to get rid of it. I do enjoy those those calculations and kind of digging through the various situations. Yeah. Once an engineer, always an engineer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it's Listen, for better or for worse, it's a hard trait to uh, shake. Yeah. 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 We we could probably have a topic just about that. <laughs> this is true. When you're having a different kind of, uh, when you're doing a project for your business, um, are the engineers, are they working within a certain scope of project until they get it done? Or does their work entitle doing just a section of the work and then they all come together in the end? So what we generally do is I I would give one whole project to a specific engineer. And very often that'll include, you know, reviewing all the data that we have from the clients, gathering all the utility data to set the baseline for the savings. And then they generally have to set up a model um, for the usage on the tenant side of things. One of the unique aspects of some of the programs that we work on is that the tenant savings are also counted. So even if the owner themselves are not recognizing those savings, but to do that with a set of baseline of the engineering model and go through that and then have the engineer do all the calculations, write the report and send it back to me for final review. I have found that because it's it's two things that I want to uh, achieve there. Number one, I find that because that project is, you know, it's not ridiculous in scope. Somebody can finish it all off in a very reasonable time. Mm-hmm. It kind of keeps the flow of the report going so that they understand when they're looking at the calculations, they have something in mind that they read in another place that's guiding them on what to propose to the client. So you don't have two people giving over information to each other and then potentially losing that. The other thing that I want to be able to do is that obviously if we're growing, there might be times where somebody needs to pitch in and say, hey, you know what? I need you to do the model just to help one of the other engineers to move the project along faster. And this way, every one of them has the scope of the entire project. And it's not 
a situation where they only know their one area and can't expand further out. I would imagine that that would be a rewarding engineering experience to have projects like that. So you're seeing it from beginning to end and not necessarily just a little piece of it all the time. No, absolutely. I think one of the things that I loved right from the beginning of the energy efficiency world and how I got brought into it, I worked for a very small firm initially. There's probably about 20 engineers or so, and then an additional handful of support staff. And every day, I sort of never knew what I was going to end up doing. I would have days where you're climbing through mechanical rooms and walking sites, followed by days where you would be working in the office on calculations. And then you'd have days where, okay, we're, we're in construction mode. Let's go out there and make sure that everything's being installed properly, as well as going through punch list and retro commissioning items. I know that in my career, that really helped out because even if you do end up working in one specific area, being able to see the other sides, and I think this ties into the whole multidisciplinary approach as well, even if you can, are not working you know, on that specific part of the project or as that part of, the, of engineering, having that in mind while you do your part can really enhance your work. I agree. Uh, when I started my engineering profession, I started on the manufacturing shop floor, um, you know, as as an in, intern, and I was actually working on the machines. Um, and then I uh, grew into process engineering, and then quality and reliability, and into product design. And uh, just having that experience and, and interacting with the other people all along the process really does give you a different perspective of the kind of work you do and the kind of decisions that you make that can have an effect on them and what they're trying to do. And it sounds like you've seen that same kind of thing in your work area. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you point out that you worked on the manufacturing floor, there's some times where you're not like going out in the morning and saying, okay, this is what I want to learn about, or here's an item that I need to kind of dive into a little further. You're really coming to this with just open eyes. You really don't know what you're going to learn that day. And that's where you have those interactions with, you know, you see a piece of machinery and you start to question, you see how one of the uh, machinists is doing their work and you start to dive into it further on a more natural basis. And I think that that's where, you know, just getting out to the field, especially for younger engineers, really opens their eyes to all these other things and all these other people who have all that peripheral knowledge that will help guide your design. That's good advice. Yeah, actually going out and having an open mind when you do go for learning how it could, well, I guess just learning how it works, right? No, learning how it works. And also having the open mind that every person there, you know, you're all on the same team to make this whole, you know, whatever process or service, you're trying to have it function to its absolute best. And so not looking at it as, okay, we're the engineering team and they're the maintenance team because you're both on the same side of things. And it's the main, you know, I've learned so much from, you know, cl climbing through mechanical rooms and just asking the maintenance guys, you know, wait, why is this set up like, you know, like it is? And well, okay, they, they sort of ran into a specific situation where they had to adjust something. And it's not something that was standard, but that, that I would have thought about in the design, but it makes you think, okay, is this situation present in my next design? And if it is, here's how I can approach it. It just kind of opens your eyes up. And really, if you talk to those machinists, talk to those maintenance and maintenance guys and installation guys, it gives you an appreciation for 
you know, what comes next and how you can approach that within your design so that their job is easier and you have better results overall. Yeah, I agree. And I guess it's part of being an engineer that just stays curious. Um, is that one one of the cornerstones you think of your success in your engineering career is just uh, being being curious and willing? Yeah, and I think what ties to the curiosity is also being a little humble and taking that curiosity and learning from anybody because you know I don't see it this overwhelming sense of it, but I have seen you know some of the engineers that just they'll treat some of the, the workers the guys who are working with their hands, like sort of, oh, they're beneath me because they, you know, they decide to work with their hands instead of getting the engineering degree. And instead of looking at it in that manner, take that curiosity, take that, you know, an ounce of humbleness and really like, you know, learn from them. They, they have something to teach you. Absolutely. As you've been uh, getting to have more seniority in your engineering career and while well, you're managing other engineers at this point, how have you seen the experience with mentoring younger engineers in, in your field and in some of these projects? Is it is it something where you feel it you need to be intentional about it? Or is it the same kind of sense of curiosity and, and willingness? Right. I, I think that if you want to take it to the next level, then yes, there has to be some definite intentionality to make sure that those younger engineers are getting the guidance that they need. Because And I think that all senior engineers, if you look back and you say, okay, would I be where I am today if it weren't for some senior engineer or somebody that helped you in your development? I, I'd be hard to press to find somebody to say, no, I did it all myself. I didn't need anyone out there. And of course, everybody needs it to different levels. It might depend on, you know, well, did you have family support? Everybody went to college. Well, you probably did not need as much support actually going through college as somebody else who's a first generation student. So I think that there are obviously different levels, but I think that it really is a responsibility of senior engineers to, you know, if you see a younger engineer who's just sort of off to the side, who's not participating participating in a meeting, you know, maybe take the extra time and talk to them. They may feel, oh, what do I have? I don't have anything to add to this discussion. And so they stay quiet, but that could hurt their development. If you can kind of pull them out, and some of them may not be comfortable doing it in a public setting of the meeting, but you know, take take a few minutes on the side, talk to them about the project, and make sure that they are moving along. That can really go a long way. And also, quite honestly, it could be for selfish reasons to some degree that you need to help develop your younger engineers, or you're just going to have more and more on your plate and not be using them to their fullest. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a lot of on-the-job experience that comes with any engineering discipline. Each discipline has its own challenges that really only the senior engineers that are working there are going to understand and be able to mentor to. Is that how you see things also? I do. And I think that it, it can be tough sometimes to let go of the reins when you're the one who's in control. You're the one who theoretically knows everything. But I've also seen situations where a senior engineer sort of misses something, that you know, a different angle to look at a project because they're so used to doing the, their engineering work in a specific way. And then you have a younger engineer that comes in and goes, hey, you know, why are we doing it like this? What about X, Y, and Z? And it's a point where the senior engineer can go, you know what? That, that, that's something we could do, but just really hadn't thought about it because, you know, 
when you do the same project for 10 years in a row and <laughs> you start to get in, you get in that rhythm. You don't, and it's not necessarily it's a bad way, but maybe there's a better way. And it t- often takes a younger, you know, more naive and fresh engineer who is not set in their ways at all to help point that out. I've, I've experienced that also. And sometimes people think it's because of the technology changes that we've seen in the recent years that um, there's new ways of doing things. Um, and sometimes that's the case. But I think it's more of what you just talked to, that it's just a fresh perspective and somebody really questioning, well, why are we doing it this way? What have you seen about the technological advances? Do you think it has as much of an impact as just a fresh point of view? You know, I think that the technological side of it is more of an efficiency type of aspect. So there's definitely, you know, what, what can be learned from younger engineers who are really growing up engulfed in, in the technology in a different manner. I don't necessarily think it's a different approach to the project because it's generally on that side of things. It's often the same approach, but you're going to get it done much faster. You know, for example, I had, you know, we, we used the AutoCAD in my office at that first job. And I remember just there was one guy in the office who was just lightning fast with, with AutoCAD, who would always update drawings really quickly. And I remember spending some time with him just watching the keyboard shortcuts that he was using, learning how to do that. And it just, it makes things so much easier when, listen, the calculations are the calculations. You can't really shortcut that part of it. But if I can save time updating the drawings or just getting everything onto paper or writing the report, that, that's really an efficiency gain. And that's certainly something that anybody who's w- well-versed with the uh, technology, if they can help you advance your skills, I would definitely take advantage and learn from them as well. Yeah, I guess there's um, an opposite side of that coin too, where um, this is not my story, but it's someone else's experience uh, where they're working as a reliability engineer in a company. Um, And a new engineer um, thought they could do it faster and easier just with finite element analysis. Um, and doing a calculation and, and kind of doing it solo and not consulting with um, some of the other senior members or, or other engineers on it. Um, and they did come up with an answer. Um, but when the reliability engineer who had been working for a while on these kind of projects saw it, he said, this is going to be a problem because of this. Um, and when they tested it out, it, you know, it, it proved the experienced engineer um, that it, it was true. What what he expected to happen is is what had happened. So that was definitely a learning experience from the younger engineer. Um, so I, I guess it's a, met, a matter of just keeping in touch with uh, if you're a more seasoned engineer, um, looking for other ways that you could do things and keeping an open mind that way. Um, and if you're a younger engineer, you may have a new way of doing things. But checking in and working alongside someone with more seniority uh, might give you that different perspective where um, you could together do things better. Uh, have you experienced things like that too? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting when you say, as you're talking about it, I started thinking about there was a conversation on LinkedIn a while ago as ChatGPT was starting to gain more exposure. And there was a group of teachers that were just absolutely against it. And they said, you know, this is going to just destroy writing. 
they're not going to, once you learn the skills of writing, if you then want to use it to some degree, go, go ahead, but you're going to lose that base of skills. And somebody actually posted a picture. I, I honestly, I don't remember what year that it was from, but it was from like, you know, de dec decades ago, maybe, you know, mid 1900s, that there were teachers who were against students having calculators as that's going to now ruin, <laughs> ruin math. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, listen, you have to understand the math. You have to understand how it works. It's good to know some of those basics, but is it really so bad to have, you know, like your calculator is not going to make a mistake with the actual numbers, but you still have to know what am I putting in there? And I think that's, that is right. part of any technology. Yes. You're going to gain efficiency, but you still have to know how to use it properly so that your results are going to be accurate. Yes, that's true. Yeah, my dad was a uh, tool and die maker and designer, um, and he did everything with paper <laughs> on a drawing board. He had an, uh, a rotary electrical eraser. Not that he made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> but, you know, that was that was one of his things. But uh, he had started getting into CAD also, and he ended up working with someone else, a student that was younger, that knew all about CAD, but didn't know how to do the design part. So together, they were able to work together to be more efficient, um, but then also to create something that worked in the end. <laughs> so um, so my dad learned some AutoCAD skills and the other engineer learned more about uh, tool and die making and what, what it takes and tolerances and setups and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it can be a good partnership. Yeah, no, it, it can be. I think one of the things I, I had explained to me early on, because obviously when I came into the engineering field, we were already past the stage of drafting by hand. Like AutoCAD was the standard at the time. But I did have one of the older guys told me, he goes, listen, I, I understand it's a lot. It's always going to be neater. You can have, you know, sort of libraries of commonly used items within the company. And this way, everything starts to have that standardization on a new level that you, that's harder to have beforehand. But he said what, what he was worried about, and he actually actually seen in, in some of the initial work when people switched over, is that they were not as careful with their work because they could quickly just change and bounce things around. And mm -hmm. then also he, he said with different versions, if you just go in, make a change and, do, and just save it, it's like you sort of forget what you actually changed Whereas if you put it, you had to sit there very carefully erasing that one single line, <laughs> changing, you know, putting in a new line between everything else. It's like that you were a lot more careful on the fix, but you were also more careful initially knowing that, okay, if I screw something up, it's going to be a yeah. real pain to fix it. <laughs> so I, I think we do, you do have to be careful with that with any technology that you're not just, you know, zipping past things and not giving it the thought that it really deserves. Yeah, I guess that's that's good advice for anything, even, uh, you know, statistical software suites. They're pretty powerful and they're built for everything to do all the things. But just because you can zip it in quick doesn't mean that the answer you get out is going to be worth much. You need to have that background information and understanding about how it works. Right. And that's where, you know, in a lot of our energy calculations, we have an Excel template that I've set up to kind of have the, all the calculations in the background. It has some lookup tables, so you're not trying to find the basic data. But we are still 
looking at those answers at the end and saying, wait a second, th this is the, the expectation is that the answer will fall within a certain range. And if something is off, you have to still have the understanding and the background to know, okay, here are the 10, 10 to 15 different places we can look to figure out you know, what, what is off. Something is not right here. And I think that that's, that's the concern whenever you have technology, that there's too much reliance on it and not enough thought of the expectations or the inputs that, you're, that are going into it, then you can run into issues. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so we've we've been talking about engineers keeping an open mind and working with other people, younger engineers with older and uh, older, more seasoned engineers. Maybe I shouldn't say older, <laughs> more experienced engineers with uh, uh, newly graduated engineers. <laughs> and we also talked a little bit about engineers just being a little humble and gaining some perspective of the other people within their realm of work whether it be the um, operators on the on the floor doing the operations or the customers or tool and die makers, those kind of functions. What's an area where a younger, uh, newer engineer could have a hang up in trying to do this? What's what's a problem or, or what's what's a common problem with trying to reach out or just to get more involved? You're just saying from the younger engineer's perspective? Yes. Yeah, I think that probably the, the single biggest issue that they run into is imposter syndrome, that they, they're coming into this place. Very often, you know, you have maybe a handful of new engineers at, at most within a department. And then you have all these seasoned people who are just going through their day and running through everything like it's nothing. And it's very easy to come in and say, wait, where do I fit into this puzzle? And how do they expect me to get up to that level? So for, for those people, I would say, first of all, as the seat from the senior engineer side, that, that's where I said before, if you can help pull them into the conversation or talk to them, that can help them feel their value and really help develop forward and help them kind of over, overcome some of these imposter syndromes issues. The other side is to really let them know that, hey, everybody experiences this to some level so that it's not just them. It's every single engineer to some level is going to think, wait a second, I didn't learn this in engineering school because you probably didn't, you know, I mean, engineering yeah. schools, I mean, engineering school is a great basis. It has lots of, you know, courses that you have to take as the foundation for your engineering career. But once you start applying them and then getting out into real life engineering, it's a completely different world. The, the other side, yeah, and, and the other side of the imposter syndrome that I like to tell younger engineers is think about it from the employer side. Employers hate going through the hiring process. They don't want to do it. It's annoying to them. And it's just a means to an end of finding someone who can fit into the role they have available. So they are going to do whatever they can on the due diligence side, you know, to check this person out, know what they need for the job, and find someone to fit that. And so this, you know, they're sort of like the experts, I guess, in that process. They know, they know their business better than anybody else. And they chose you. So even if a younger engineer feels like, wow, I feel a little bit out of place, you have to keep kind of keep that in the back of your mind that wait a second, there were other candidates here. It's not like, you know, oh, well, we asked everybody else, and so now we're just gonna go with you. That that doesn't happen. They're they're picking you because they believe that you can do it. 
obviously it doesn't always work out, but that is their intention. And so if you have that in your mind, then it kind of gives you a little bit of confidence that, okay, you know what? They're the experts. They think I can do it. I probably can. That's good advice. Yeah, that's interesting that you said imposter syndrome. Yeah, I'm glad I asked you that question. Now, along these lines, did you have any recommended reading or podcast or other additional websites where engineers can look more for keeping an open mind or get some different perspectives of how they could be a good mentor or a senior engineer? Right. Well, I think that I have a website that's it's geared more towards younger engineers, but if some of the older, some of the more senior engineers want to check it out, it's theengineeringmentor.com. And it kind of can give you some perspective on, you know, what a younger engineer is going through. In terms of books, I actually do have a nice growing nonfiction collection. Um, one of the books that I think is actually very, uh, very applicable to engineers is a, a book called Leading Without Authority by Keith Ferrazzi. And one of the things he talks about is how even if you're not specifically in a leadership role, you can sort of take on ownership and take on leadership to help sort of move a project along, help have collaboration between various people. And I think it's v- very applicable to what we're talking about, but just to engineers in general. Okay, that's great. And I have not read that one. I'll have to put it on my reading list. Thanks for that. Yeah, no, my pleasure. It's an excellent book. Um, happens to be my favorite book. My favorite nonfiction book is one of his first books, or I think might have been his first, was a Never Eat Alone, which is a book that focuses on networking that I would also highly recommend if you like his uh, style. Okay, thank you. And I'll uh, include links to those on the uh, podcast blog. Now, Saul, I appreciate you coming and talking with us today. Uh, How can the audience find out more about you? Where can they find you and learn more about you? Well, the the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can just search for my name. I'm active on there. I do like to post fairly often. and I do enjoy the engagement, like the back and forth in the comment section. So if anybody wants to reach out to me there, I certainly take more of an open networking approach. And I'd be happy to engage with anybody there, Uh, particularly for the younger engineers. um, My mentoring website definitely has articles that are geared towards helping them through some of the challenges they're going to face sort of at the end of engineering school and then into those first few years of their career. And I do think um, I've looked at your website, Saul, and um, you mentioned earlier that for the older engineers, your website could be a good source of what you think. Uh, what you're seeing with the younger engineers and what they might need. And I agree. So even if you're an experienced engineer and you're looking to support the younger ones in your business place, Saul's website is also a good resource to get that kind of perspective. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the extra push. Well, Saul, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate you and um, I hope you have a great day. My, my pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation and hope that everybody finds uh, something of benefit from it. Thanks all. My pleasure.